You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 85. We are nearing into that 100. Let's see. Will we hit it before the end of the year? We should hit the century Not by the end of the year. quite. Yeah, we should. Well, then we're slacking. We need to pick up the pace. Nope. We'll, we'll, we will ring in the new year a few weeks okay. into January with our 100th episode. So we got to pick something good. Well, Burns Night. Is that when we're going to land it? We, we, already don't, we did. don't know. We'd have to do our planning. Okay, we digress. All right, today, though, for episode 85, we are going to to talk about a favorite of Mr. Dodge over there. He loved the movie Mr. Holmes. And so when I knew we were doing a mystery month, I knew that we had to pick it. Mr. Holmes came out in 2015, directed by Bill Condon, who also did Dreamgirls, Chicago, and another Sir Ian McKellen, Gods and Monsters. He also has worked with Laura Linney, who is in this film, and Milo Parker plays Little Roger. This is actually the fourth collaboration between Laura Linney and director Bill Condon. Jeffrey Hatcher wrote the screenplay, and it is based on a novel by Mitch Cullen that was originally titled A Slight Trick of the Mind. Oh, but overall, Sherlock Holmes was written by Arthur Conan Doyle. Sir, right. sir, right? Is he I think a, he's a sir. I think he was a sir, like uh, Ian McKellen. All right, the synopsis for this film, thanks to imdb.com, is an aged retired Sherlock Holmes deals with dementia as he tries to remember his final case and a mysterious woman who haunts his memory. He also befriends a, young, a fan, a young son of his housekeeper who wants him to work again. The tagline is, let's see, I've, we have three. So you, you, this oh, is three. The, okay, good. You give me your opinion of the three. Sure, sure. This is, that's the portion of the podcast we're at right now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you, I'm waiting for you to give them I to know, me. I know, I know. I was just trying to draw out the, the suspense. The suspense, right. Yeah. The man behind the myth. Okay. Okay. Just let it sink in. Okay. After a lifetime of detective work, there's one mystery left to solve. Dramatic his own oh better, better. i like that one yeah. I like, it was fun to do the pause too. dramatic pause and the man beyond the myth no middle one number two yeah. that was good yeah. okay it's yeah, good all right a little bit of trivia before we let you kick it off sir ian mckellen took a course in beekeeping with the london honey company prior huh. to filmmaking and he was not stung once during the filming he said he went on to say in an interview i saw with him that no one was stung well that'd be more impressive if they weren't cgi bees they are not cgi bees I know, there were I'm actual being bees silly okay <laughs> he observed that it was easy for him to imagine sherlock holmes is a real person the majority of this film set this movie is set during his own lifetime and he could have met Sherlock as a boy. Oh, that's kind of rude to kind of call out his age as I'm reading that. Right. Sorry, Sir Ian. <laughs> well, it, it is kind of central to the character. He's playing a very old Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Okay, so I'm just going to jump right in. Go for it. You, Kick us off. You said that he was dealing with dementia. And I actually take a bit of an exception you with take that. take some umbrage? 
Well, here's the thing is in the first time through, I think I maybe would have landed it more like that. But the second watching, I began to view it as it was a mental block. That his problem remembering things was because of the trauma of that last case, not of necessarily dementia. And I don't have good notes about it, but I feel like at the end of the film, after he had kind of processed that... That case. That case, that he was more spry and active and and those kinds of things. So the second time through, I more saw it as a psychological block more than dementia. Isn't that interesting? The second time through, you said. Right, because none of the antidotes worked, right? Nothing worked. Right, but he, in an interview, even called a lot of his anecdotes kind of, you know, like a little woo-woo. Like he was kind of going, he was going after a bunch of non-traditional, non-tested kind of treatments because he was so desperately wanting to maintain his memory. And you're saying, that's, that's interesting, Hearing it from your point of view, I wish I had paid better attention to after he solved it to see if we noticed a spryness. That's really interesting because in one of the interviews he was, I I went down many rabbit holes. There's some great interviews with him and Laura Linney. And they talk about how they each kind of came to a newer understanding following what happened to poor Roger near the end. And kind of like they had to reevaluate their lives and kind of look at things in a different way. And like they kept using the phrase, he found his heart. Like that he wasn't really like, you know how he was kind of they were both grumpy with each other. They said she was grumpy because she had lost her husband and was, you know, kind of forced into this servitude being a housekeeper. She wouldn't want to have been a housekeeper. Right. And then she had this young boy that she was responsible for. So and then she's annoyed with him because in his retirement, he's going to keep bees. And like his biggest trouble is, you know, is my tea ready on time? And she's kind of like, you, you know pampered old man like how dare you you know kind of get wound up about stuff like this so they were both kind of grumpy at one another they were also note that at one point when he's being mean to her roger says you can barely read right and holmes is the epitome of intellectual right 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 so that establishes uh, opposites but Yes. If one notices there is a B theme throughout the film, and Laura Lenny's character is somewhat the queen bee of that house, right? Yeah. And you could say that her son Roger is the worker bee, and then that would make Holmes the drone, who is kind of useless, right? He doesn't really have a job. He just kind of hangs out. Sorry to all the drones out there. Right. <laughs> Well, I, I I would hope you take pride in the fact that you just you hang out. You're you're professional. <laughs> it's like Big Brother for insects. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do? Uh, we just we just hang out we in the hive all day. <laughs> all right, so we have jumped way ahead. Do we have a pickup line? Should we, we go do. back and kind of go yeah, to the? Pick- we could do that. Okay. The pickup line is: you shouldn't do that. Not it doesn't really support my theory. It's not very well connected to the film. <laughs> Well, the pickup line was always with romantic comedies, and this is not a romantic comedy. Well, my theory, which I guess now as I say that, isn't that presumptuous? Like at film school, they're going to be talking about Dodge's theory of pickup lines. We talked about sillier things in film school. We certainly have. But 
my theory is that the first line establishes ah. a theme for the piece of work. Wait, but say it again. I think... You shouldn't do that. Okay. I- I'm forgetting completely who was talking and who he was talking to. I believe it was Holmes talking to a young boy on the train who is messing oh, with right. a wasp that he thinks is a bee. Right. Because he's saying that the wasps are way more dangerous than right. the bees. Yes. So you shouldn't mess with things that are dangerous. And that foreshadows that Milo, excuse me, Roger, yeah, played by Milo Parker, yeah, outstandingly, Roger gets himself into some trouble. Yes. With wasps later in the film. Yes. He and, shouldn't mess with that. And, and perhaps one of the reasons I respond to this film is I'm Team B. Yes, right. so is Ian. He says he has a whole new respect after going to the... Uh, bees are awesome. Wasps, hornets are horrible. Horrible. Yeah, but bees rock. Yes. So I think we just supported your point. I would like to think okay. so. Okay, well, all right. I'll take it. Okay. All right. So how about the cinematography of this film? My first first note was actually in the, the opening scenes where I wonder, 2015, helicopter or drone for the shots of the train. But I love the the establishing wide to show the train going through the English countryside. Yes. Uh, beautiful scenery. They have quite a few close-ups in this film that I think worked very, very well. Uh-huh. One that I really liked was when Anne is playing the glass harmonica, they call it. It's the graduated glass, I guess you'd call it almost like cups or what have you. It's almost like that old the theremin Mm -hmm. very good and one of the things i thought was interesting was you could see with the close-up that the the glass pieces were not perfectly round yeah and i don't know if that's key to their sound or if that was just at the time they struggled with glass blowing who knows but that Mm -hmm. was i thought that was interesting there's a really sweet moment where laura linney's mrs monroe which by the way is a a scottish family name Mm -hmm is talking to Roger as he's gone to bed, and I thought that was beautifully shot. And in general, lots of angelic backlighting on Laura Linney. She had the uh, full glen close and the natural um, backlight on the hair for the Mm -hmm. halo. One thing that was interesting was the camera movement throughout the house. And so one of the things that dawned on me the second time through Mm -hmm. was how small the doorways were and how tight the stairways were. Weren't they low, too? Like, doorways just barely... I think the doorway to Holmes, at least study or room, whatever that attic-y area was, I believe everyone had to duck, even Laura Linney, to Mm -hmm. get through the doorway. Mm -hmm. And so, maybe several hundred years ago, English people were very, very wee. I don't know. Built by leprechauns, perhaps. So, that was an especial challenge, I expect, for the full-sized modern camera crew to navigate, even with Steadicam, mm. because sometimes those Steadicam things, right, they, they actually go up over, up over the... Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, good job there, guys. Good point. And the last was, there was a, a clever shot when Holmes, I believe this is when he went to Japan, mm-hmm. there's a shot where the train cars are moving across the screen, and you can see Holmes through the window the on the of- other side of the cars. I thought that was really well done. That's cool. There was a shot I really liked. It was him through a blurry glass door. Yeah. It, so you could kind of just make out his outline, but it wasn't, you know, crisp or clear. So, but it worked with what was going on in right. the in the scene. I really liked that yeah. choice. Yeah. So, how about writing? What did you, I mean, you you loved this movie. And when we watched it the first time, I can't even remember 
we just kind of did we stumble on it or did you see the trailer and i have no idea how i ran into this film because this generally mysteries and thrillers really usually aren't our bag we're the rom-com people but you really responded to this the first time you saw it you were like i really love this movie yeah so tell me about like in the writing how did it unfold that kind of captivated you i'm gonna back up a little bit go ahead go for it i have always been more of a holmes fan Yes. Than an Agatha Christie fan, which uh, may come up again in the podcast in future episodes. (laughs) In the following weeks. But I have, I think, at least read once every Sherlock Holmes story. When I was maybe 12, I had the big omnibus edition with all of them. And uh, when I was home in the summertime, nothing to do. I read them in the living room. It was the coolest part of a very warm house. And I would lay on the, the brown shag carpet and I would read them. And I liked... You know, the, the the kind of that a smart person could cleverly deduce what was going on. That was a part that appealed to me. And I have to make a note that I have not read the novel on which this book or this movie is ma- is based. Yes. So, but some of the intricate plotting could have come from uh, the novel. So that author may actually get some of this credit too. But it reminded me of an Arthur Conan Doyle story mm-hmm. in that everything that we needed to solve the mystery was there. We just didn't recognize it. And mm-hmm. that was Holmes' power, was he observed everything. And in fact, we're shown that because the boy, Roger, plays that game with him. You know, tell me where my mother has been. And so he's like, well, you know, you have the coal on you, so you're on the train. But the only train that would possibly leave at this time, which is hilarious because no one would really memorize the train tables, but Holmes would. Yeah. So... I, I like that when we start out, there is a, the theme, right, of kind of wasp versus bees, and we start getting clues, even in the first act, to, to what's going on. We see that. There's also parallel storytelling. So, a, as the old story with Holmes and the woman unfold, also the modern story is unfolding, mm-hmm. right? We also see that there is a case where a person attempted to hoodwink Holmes Mm -hmm. with the library book. Mm -hmm. But then Holmes actually was already, I suspect, struggling because that was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. So it establishes to us that that, that Holmes has been suffering with whether it's memory Mm -hmm. or a A, psychological block for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And then to me, it was awesome because the reveal at the end as everything comes together, I also like, and this is very English perhaps, but to me, the interaction of Holmes and the woman Anne in the garden is so English in that a lot is said, but nothing is said. Yeah. If that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Yeah. That scene kind of kept me a little confused. I think I even paused and asked you for a clarification. And to me, probably what a classic English all in subtext invitation to romance is let us be alone together. <laughs> like that is so incredibly <laughs> understated. I mean, that appeals to me. I guess I'm known for my occasional understatement. So to me, that part is it's, and, and I like this in, in fiction too, like written books, that everything isn't beating you over the head. It's not all on the nose. Yeah. It's not a broadly drawn, it is finely drawn. It is subtle. And in a sense, calling back to the bee motif, it's like the subtle notes of honey, mm-hmm. right? It's not this 
<laughs> sorry, Guy Fieri burst of <laughs> bacon and, and nacho cheese. Mm-hmm. It is a very subtle flavor. Mm-hmm. And so that, to me, is it appeals is it, it, there's a certain amount of, I guess, intellectual. You have to kind of be following along, mm-hmm. right? You have to be paying close attention on this one. They're not going to show it to you a second time. Right. You better be eyes on. And I, I enjoyed that. I don't know why, but it just really resonated with me. I think... One of the scenes that I noted that I liked for anybody who wasn't familiar with Sherlock Holmes and how observant he was. Right. Is right when he gets to the house near the beginning, he's walking up the stairs. And I think anybody else would just walk up the stairs. But he notices a white powder on the steps. And not only is it like, huh wonder what that is and he keeps going he looks at it and he kind of lo- and he looks up and he realizes that the paint is falling from right. the underside of the staircase the how the the that flight of stairs yes. that basically is over it and so that like tells you like oh this is how observant this person is is he needs to solve the mystery what is this white powder and then once he figures out it's the paint falling from up above he's kind of like oh okay Right. What's interesting to me as a thought experiment, because I don't remember this ever being covered in the canonical Doyle stories, Mm -hmm. is why he is like that. Where does that hypervigilance come from? Mm. So in the kind of sequel to the movie we're going to talk about next step, Mm -hmm. they established some of that backstory for that detective. And when you said that, it just reminded me about Holmes in the staircase. It reminded me of hypervigilance. Yeah. And... That that him being just that constantly looking and noticing anything that's out of place. So this film takes place two years after World War Two, correct? About yeah, two or three. So if Holmes is is he in his nineties? They said he was in his nineties. Yeah. So he was born in the early nineteen hundreds. So it would have been. Before, well, he would have born in eighteen fifty seven, eighteen sixties. Before World War One. Yes. And so... But he would have been an elderly gent in World War One. but it right. could be the Boer War or the Crimean War, some of those <laughs> right. in the end of the 19th century, That would have caused perhaps. some trauma for some hypervigilance. Right. Yeah, yeah, possible. But that's, to me, I the writing to me, it really came down to, it was super cleverly plotted. And then I feel like it was so subtle, subtle that it required really good acting in order to land it. Yeah, I love the relationship that is formed between Roger and Holmes. Yeah. And and it like it builds slowly but mm-hmm. not like slow paced, but just appropriately, I guess. You know, like Roger isn't necessarily an annoyance, maybe at first, but for the most part I find Holmes kind of amused by him yeah. or or somewhat entertained and it's almost like maybe since he didn't have the privilege of having a grandchild, Roger is fulfilling that. Sure. He's like the old wiser guy that gets to pass on, right. you know, his hobbies, his beekeeping, exactly. swimming, different things. And my favorite interchange is when they're coming back from swimming and Roger he says something about dying. Do you remember this? I don't remember exactly the phrasing, but he was like well, you you can't die. I know my uncle, he right. lived until he was like 98. And then Holmes says something like, well, what are the odds you know two people that live that long? Right. So I'm doomed. And then, <laughs> and then Roger says, well, I didn't know him that well. Yeah. <laughs> like Roger's very fond of him as well. I think they both are, you know, taking a liking to each other. 
right in a it, sweet like paternal way not in a weird way yeah no i, d- I didn't see it weird y- yeah i think you're absolutely correct here's confirmed bachelor but why this is brilliantly written. plotted and uh-huh. written to me is because that mirrors what Anne's problem was. Her grief was in not being able to have children. Right. And Holmes was never able to have children because of his profession uh-huh. and probably his hypervigilance. As we see with Laura Linney, it's difficult for him to interact with others. But And here's, you know, like you said, a, a grandson, perhaps a great grandson, even given the ages. And they share an interest in things. And R- Milo Parker does a fantastic job oh acting as, as Roger. But that, that childish, innocent kind of wonder. Yeah. Uh, who doesn't like that? I mean, I'm halfway to, to Holmes' age, but I would love that, right? Somebody who just has an interest in what you have an interest in, but in that, that wide open, like, I've never seen this before. Tell me more! Well, and we were talking about this, I think, earlier today. Of the time, well, no, I mean, in the in the canon of the book, right? Holmes would have been like a local celebrity, no? Oh, yeah, he would have been. He's huge. So, Roger would have been completely... Because Roger wants him to get back into it. He wants him to solve yeah. more mysteries. And, and to finish the story. Yeah. Right. And so, he's trying to encourage him. And it feels like Holmes is like, no, I'm trying right. to put this to bed. In this, they establish that the, in the universe the story is set in, that the Watson written stories are big time books, right? Right. So, this is the equivalent of like, you know, a John Grisham or a, a Stephen King character that is based on. So, he would have been huge, right? Mm-hmm. Just a bigger than life hero. Mm-hmm. I, I like the line uh, Miss Monroe is telling Roger to go to bed and she says, Lights out, like it's the Blitz. Yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> dark. <laughs> no, well, especially no because. Her husband and Roger's father died in in the Battle of Britain, the the air war. That's pretty. It just seems that like you wouldn't bring that up. Like I don't think you would. That's rough. But maybe lights that shows... out like it's September 11th, kids. Like that's just you don't do that. Like crazy terrorists are coming. Turn those lights up. Yeah, that I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe in maybe 1947 that, that was reasonable. But that lends to kind of how grumpy she is, maybe yes. about life in exactly. general. Like she is just miserable because her station in life at this point she thought would be very different. Yeah, especially when you factor in that her husband was an idiot. That she shows that he could have, if he kept his mouth shut, just had the cushy job back in England. But he had to go and be a pilot and then got shot down had to on go his be first... a hero. Yeah. So, not naming names, but there have been people in modern kind of pop culture in the last 10 or so years who insisted on being a hero and going abroad, and then they died. Well, that's and interesting. And they left a wife and children behind because they wanted to be a hero. Well, that's interesting because Milo was trying to be a hero. Yes, and it got him into great trouble. Yeah. Right. So he kind of was following in his dad's footsteps. Uh, yeah. Hopefully he learned his lesson. All right. <laughs> How about the editing? Was there anything that stood out for the editing? I don't have anything. But. For me, it was just in the middle of the film when they would cut between the story with Anne yes, and the modern yes, story. That is, they cut back and forth very well, I thought. You know, parallel storytelling is a great way to, to shoot a movie, maybe even your first movie. It really is. The problem I have is my brain doesn't work so well that way. Oh, trust me. When my when my professor suggested it, you 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 witnessed the meltdown I went through. Right. Shout out to Dustin, but he yeah. was right. He was right. It made it a better film. 
Yeah, and I still think my brain doesn't work that way. Right. (laughs) All right. I have a few notes under costuming. I liked how they took away, even though I could tell she didn't, Laura Linney's beautiful golden hair and made her kind of a dour brown haired um, lass. To simulate age progression, they added liver spots to Holmes' head. There's a whole makeup behind the scenes on youtube if you are so interested to see how they aged sherlock holmes from 62 or 60 something to 92 and he said in an interview that he enjoyed the makeup process you know how a lot of celebrities will talk about oh it was four hours in the makeup chair for holmes it was only an hour they did a prosthetic nose in addition to those aforementioned liver spots and he said that it really helped him spend that time to just get quiet and go inside and kind of get in the headspace and the character of Holmes. So he appreciated that. A bit of a ritual. Yes. On the uh, costuming, I did have one note. And so hopefully superfan Miriam will call in and help us on this one. His cane, was that a blackthorn cane? I noticed that it wasn't, the, the shaft of it wasn't smooth. It had like bumples on it, like rings that went down. And so all I could think of is, was that blackthorn? Your nerd card is <laughs> <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> Sir Ian McKellen also stated in an interview that his costume had very uncomfortable materials and he chafed in the worst places. And because of this, he hesitated about reprising his role in future installments. And I loved reading that bit of trivia because I hope there is a follow-up. You would love it if there is a follow-up. I totally would. So under sound, I have great B sound effects. Yeah. There was good hovering and, and panning, which means sometimes you hear it stronger or more intense on the right side of the screen or the left. And as well as kind of just creating that, like, you know, when a bee kind of comes close and then and then goes that way. Yeah. So in my mind's eye, I see some sound nerd belly down out in a field of clover <laughs> with his, his big ma- mic with the dead cat on it, trying to capture four hours of bee sound. No, you don't, you don't have to do that. You could just go to uh, one of the hives, like what Holmes was tending. Yeah, my image is more evocative, though. <laughs> All right. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was thinking how I was going to shoot it, but notice that it was linear. I, I, I did, did not go back in time for that. Any head trauma in this film? So I'm going to say off screen, super fan RJ, but Holmes passes out and falls. And I think we can safely assume based on the scra- like scrapes on his face that yes. there was some head trauma involved. Yes. And I loved it. It was so sweet how Roger came to his rescue. And I thought it was, you know, Holmes kind of had taken care of roger previous to that and now this was almost like roger's way of of paying him back right yeah it was like uh no need to tell your mother about this kind of yeah thing. yeah i don't believe there was a smoochie 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 i have no recorded smoochie yeah i wonder if we'll get a smoochie all month since we're doing mysteries right that is possible that we will not that we will not it could be a an offer on the smoochies right and how about a, a driving review not really there was one automotive kind of scene at the beginning and the only note that i have is look at how narrow the 1937 morris 104 is that holmes rides in the back i swear if i sat in the back seat of that thing i, I could probably put each arm out a window <laughs> that looked to be at most one human wide. So you're saying doorways and cars were much narrower than they are yeah, today. Yeah, they must have been tiny people. <laughs> 
They were eating very much. They were not American sized. <laughs> okay, so shall we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. Okay. So Mr. Holmes, which came out in 2015, had a budget of $10 million. It did pretty good. Let's see. Domestically, it made 17.7. Worldwide, it did an additional 11. And so for a total of just under 29 million. And in just for inflation, the the domestic proceeds would have been 19 million. So, you know, about 2 million more. Nicely done, Bill Condon and crew. Yeah. Yeah. They, they tripled their initial investment all told. So that's pretty good. Especially, it definitely they were making comments like, I mean, more than once in the interviews I listened to, Sir Ian mentioned that he did not do this film for the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're making a period piece for 10 million, yeah, there's no money left for actors. Right. And you're flying everybody to London. Laura did it because she wanted to work with Bill again. She wanted to work with Sir Ian and she had just had a baby. And to be able to go to London, she was like, I'm in. So that's that was her motivation for doing it. It scores 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb. And Unfair. You think, what would you give it on IMDb? Well, I think I gave it a 9 out of 10. This is a fantastic yeah, film. You love this movie. It's very good. I like it too. I didn't want to to sound like well critics agree with you they give it 88 percent, which is almost yep, yep. up to the 90s and i think maybe audiences were i don't know it's it's not you know a, it's not a marvel movie i guess and so unfortunately audiences gave it 70 percent. it's an hour and 44 minutes it's rated pg so i believe the whole family could see this sit Absolutely. down this is a good watch it's labeled as a drama mystery it got 15 nominations but unfortunately no wins in any of those categories and it is from the studio of seesaw films roadside attractions and the bbc it got a win in my heart. It did. It did. And I would highly recommend this. We watched it on Canopy, which, if you do not know, is a fantastic film service. You can get it on your desktop. You can get it on a lot of smart televisions. And you just sign up through your library card. So you can watch movies for free. And they have a huge catalog just by having a library card, which I think is fantastic. Go library scientists, I have to say. Perhaps this is an opportunity to give a shout out to friend of the show, Dustin's partner, Lisa, who probably could tell us a little something about library science <laughs> and <laughs> films. So Definitely. She is picked up a lot of film expertise. She's an award-winning film producer. Right. As well as a knowledgeable library scientist. <laughs> You're hitting it hard. Okay. Well, you can also watch this for free on Pluto TV if you want. So let's see. That just about wraps it up for Mr. Holmes. Next week, we will be talking about Murder on the Orient Express, another favorite of Michael's and another mystery. So with that in mind, never forget. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 